up and welcome to another new episode of Movie Schmovie. Uh, this is episode number 236, and Woo! I am Steve. Who else is here with me? I'm Ron. I'm John. And this is our big follow-up episode to our episode we did last week where we had not yet seen Avengers Endgame and we had not yet watched Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, The Battle of Winterfell, which I believe that episode was called The Long Night. Um, and now we've seen both of those things and we have feelings and thoughts and we're here together again. It's like we're bookending it for uh, for the listeners. We're just making it so, so neat and tidy for them. Are we making it too neat and tidy, Ronald? Are we like a franchise that's trying to wrap things up and uh, we're rushing a little too hard towards that finish line? Yeah, I mean, some elements feel a little uh, contrived, but definitely most of it's pretty good. <laughs> What about you, Steve? Do you feel like this is just a sort of a turning point for us this episode? Because it is, it does kind of pay off things we've been talking about for a long time on this podcast. Well, I think like we were saying last episode, I feel like everything past this point is like another phase of movie movie. It's like, you know, we've kind of built so much up to talking about the MCU. And I feel like once we get past Endgame, it's like, where does movie movie go? Like we are, some would say we are entering phase three of movie movie as marvel is entering phase four <laughs> but we're, we're taking we're taking our steps and we're doing the due diligence and uh you know we're, we're kind of letting them play their cards first and then we're going to just come up with something bigger and better kind of like what dc did you know because that worked out really well yeah they, they waited they saw what worked for marvel right. and they said you know what let's not do that right right so yeah we're going to do, do that except the opposite of that <laughs> But yeah, um, man, it's cool. I, it's it's cool to finally be here and to be able to talk about it is. you know this period of MCU and seeing where it goes and what we've got, what we've come to. And even though Spider Man Far From Home is like a fish or you know officially the last film of the Phase Three films, it's like you know it is what that whatever that means. It is this is like the end of something huge, and you know both in terms of films and this podcast talking about these films and you know just pop culture in general and movie going in general. It's just like it's it's a pretty huge thing, and it's it's good that we can kind of finally get to the point to talk about how it how it you either feel it paid off or didn't pay off. So it, it's cool that we're we're going to do that now. Yeah. So I guess that necessitates us. We will talk about some spoily stuff later. But right now, if you're listening and you haven't seen Endgame, I think we'll tailor the first part of this conversation towards people who uh, who either have or haven't seen the movie. So we won't get into plot specifics, but we will talk about where this movie sits in the. In the kind of timeline of, of these these movies, this franchise that you were mentioning, Steve, this this kind of giant, sometimes lumbering and sometimes excellent uh, franchise that Marvel has put together. And um, I guess that would be the first question, just generally, do you guys think of Endgame as as a worthy successor to the other films? And did, did it kind of provide a, a sense of being a wrap-up, even though we know there are more movies just around the corner? Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I feel like it did in, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, while... Maybe some stuff in the movie can be picked up and picked apart. Um, I don't. I don't really find myself choosing to do that. Uh, I just think that for what they've done with these, you know, these films over the past 10, 11 years. Um, well, I mean, obviously, it's it's unheard of. I mean, even even conversations about Star Wars and Bond and like other movies that have kind of built around a universe and had like this, you know, this idea of of, of redefining in ways what a franchise can be over generations especially um you know i think marvel and what they've done with the mcu is, is just unprecedented and it's kind of changing the way that studios approach 
intellectual property and also, um, you know, how they're approaching releasing movies. Um, and obviously with the way Disney Plus is coming up in the fall, I think that's going to have an even bigger effect on what Marvel is putting out into the entertainment stream than we even expect. And, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of cool to finally get to this point and to see, you know, I feeling, my feeling is that it paid off in, in, in most of the ways that I needed it and wanted it to. And it, it's kind of made me, you know, kind of feel refreshed to kind of reset and see where they go next and kind of, you know, excited to see what some of these new characters that they're going to be introducing or new properties, you know, that they're going to be bringing into the fold will, will, will mean and what, what they'll do and, and what new ways they may figure and find ways to push the whole MCU and the idea of these franchises in, in, in the next decade, you know, because it's not going to stop in any way because it's all culminated in what could end up being the biggest movie of all time. So, I mean, it's exciting and, and I look forward to it. You guys know how I felt about uh, Infinity War. Um, I had some issues with it, and uh, as I came into this one, I was in, I was pretty enthusiastic. I felt like the marketing for this one was pretty cool. I was I was ready for something that felt different tonally than uh, what we had seen in Infinity War for a bunch of reasons, right? Um, this one not only delivered, but it exceeded my expectations. Uh, and you know, I'm like I'm like you guys. I've seen all the movies. Um, we can debate whether they were all kind of coherent in the way that they were coming. They came together in the universe and all that stuff. I, I think there was that it, it pretty much ramped up in the last couple years. I'd say like five five years. Let's say five years. The last five six years is when it really started to feel like they were connected, really interconnected. Um, and I think that that is like Steve was saying, unprecedented. You hear in controversy here. Um, what they're trying to do with the monster universe over um, at Universal. I think that this movie, this franchise, this whole world that we've seen, for better or worse, has changed the face of movies forever, forever and ever and ever. Um, this one paid off more than I could have ever expected. Um there was chemistry on the screen that I just had never seen. Something that I wanted from the from Infinity War that I got in this one, which is like kind of the humanizing of the situation. I mean, you were seeing people disappear in the last one, but seeing the results of that and seeing the human human ver, human side of it really made this movie so much more than I could have ever expected. I teared up a bunch of cr times. My girlfriend cried a bunch of times. This was the movie that I wanted to see. They paid off. Disney Marvel, for better or worse, is is doing something that I think is beneficial. And and if these group sort of events that feel like everybody has to see it are very rare, man. And uh, it feels good to say that we experienced all this stuff together. And, you know, we all watched it, you know, relatively around the same time. And we have... It seems like we have we all have tingly feelings about it, so there's something to be said about that. Yeah, I guess I can kind of uh, third what you guys just said. I thought this was an extremely successful payoff, and and that idea of being a payoff. You mentioned the fact that over the last eh, five, six movies, whatever, they've really been aiming towards this storyline. Whereas in the early movies, there were these token references to the different Infinity Stones, right, right, right. And in Ant Man, you got the Quantum Realm, and then we had Thanos popping up here and there. So there was this suggestion that it was going to happen. But I remember a few years ago, we said. 
have they really done a good job of setting up Thanos as this ultimate villain? Have they really set up this Infinity Stones plotline as a coherent storyline? And I think at the time we felt, no, they haven't. And then what I thought Endgame did, in addition to sort of lingering on the grief uh, of the characters after Infinity War that you referred to, Ronald, which was some of the best stuff in the movie, some of the richest stuff in the movie anyway, was seeing how these heroes deal with a situation where they couldn't be the heroes. But I thought this movie did an excellent job of looking back at those earlier films that may not have been as connected and bringing them into the fold. I won't say how because that might be a spoiler, but I thought this movie did a great job of, of kind of giving you that greatest hits of the Marvel Universe feeling. And it did go back to the beginning and, and refer to these things specifically that that now seem kind of iconic in some places, but in other ways, it was just like a new way of looking at these movies that we've seen for for years. And I thought that was a really creative thing they did in Endgame that made it, in a way, a more self-contained movie. Um, and, and really a love letter to the Marvel Universe. That might sound kind of <laughs> narcissistic, but I thought they just... You mentioned how for fans of these things and how the people have been following these movies, this movie really was fan service, but in the best way. Like, I don't know why that term has to be a bad thing, but this was... For this was a gift to people who have been following these these films, and especially people who have invested in these characters. And of course, it's blown up the box office, which we may have predicted, but I didn't expect it to do over a billion in a weekend. That was that was uh, I, that's kind of unheard of, right? Oh yeah, I mean that's what, yeah, that's what kind of what I'm getting at in my initial like thoughts was just that like you know what this what this film is doing to uh, just expectations for franchising for IP and like you just said for box office it's it, it, it literally hasn't really ever been done at the at the level it's being it's being done with this film and this franchise you know that that's happening now like even as we're recording this you know numbers are coming back that suggest that this movie would be over 2 billion dollars by the the by the by the end of the second weekend which is you Yikes. know it's just that's like insane i mean like it's it really is. truly insane i mean and and while I am holding out hope, and I I do feel like it has a really good chance at topping Avatar, as like you know the globally the biggest film of all time. I think Avatar is like two point seven billion dollars. Um, I don't know if the box office is too front loaded for Endgame only because it's coming out in the summer, just like Infinity War did to have that like. That repeat viewing, the multiplier that is really needed to kind of get to the point that like Avatar and like movies like that and Titanic got to. But I mean, just the idea of a film getting, you know, over a billion dollars, you know, in in its first five days of, I mean, globally in its first five days of release is just, I mean, it's insane. And that just good. And it really just goes to speak to just how well the whole effort has been handled globally um, as a property and uh it just it's just it's just insane i mean like and and you know your comment about the fan service thing john is is really a good point because it does kind of like get framed a lot of times that like you know filmmakers or creators are kind of maybe playing a little too much into fan service and you know and losing maybe uh, a vision or a narrative focus that they maybe initially had but I don't really know that like that's the case with this film. I mean, I, I it does play into the fan service, but I mean, listening to these filmmakers talk, and I mean, the fact that the Russo brothers have really been a pretty strong hand in kind of steering, like you said, the back like you know two three years of this franchise or four years of this franchise into this point. 
I mean, there's just there while while they have done an interesting job of like getting filmmakers that have like a really interesting take on some of these properties, and you know they get the it's got the Marvel look to all the you know the films in in, in a general sense. Like they've been able to make films in these fran- in this franchise, especially again in the last you know three to five years, that really kind of showed how different each film could be from the prior. And I think that that is really what provided an opportunity to show all that stuff connecting, even on a human level, like Ronald said, um, in this film. And I think that that's just something that is really impressive. And I think that it's really kind of done with a focus on with a focus on the audience, which is why I feel like, you know, a big reason why this is event movie going. Like Ronald said, like this is the kind of thing that's so rare, where like everybody is talking about going and seeing it when it comes open and people are making, you know, weekends, I mean, are making plans for like weeknights to go to the movies, like to sold out shows, which is like ridiculous, you know? Like I went again on Tuesday night with my dad and like at the theater I went to at like the same time, there were like six shows starting that were like basically all sold out. Yeah. And, you know, that's the fifth day of release or sixth day of release on a weeknight. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just doesn't happen, especially, you know, I don't want to rant about like how impressive the release date is. Is that like you know this movie's not coming out around the holiday season when like you know a lot of people are off work or out of school or whatever. It's coming out like right at the jump to the summer where like the movie season literally goes into high gear and it's gonna be just one of many movies in a theater that you can choose from in the matter of a week or two. But you know being able to still make that impression that quickly and even like Infinity Infinity War did last summer. You know, that that film still made over $2 billion in in its run coming out, you know, at the start of the summer movie season. And that's just fueling, like, a box office that has never been seen before. And it's just so wild. And it's like, as somebody who is so fascinated by box office numbers and performance and multipliers and things like that, I, I just don't even know that they have models that exist anymore to predict a movie like this. I mean, like, anything that was being predicted for its opening... Nothing at all was pointing to anything like it ended up doing domestically or globally. Like the, even the higher end of initial estimates were not even close to this, and it and it and it you know exceeded every single one of them. So it's kind of rewriting the way that they build models around these event films if they can reach the level that Marvel has done with with what with what they just put out last Friday. Yeah. In addition to the box office, there has been this cultural conversation that just won't yeah. stop around this yeah. movie. And it's to the point where I think, well, I'm glad I'm a fan, because if I weren't, I would be annoyed and sick of <laughs> hearing about it and sick of the cute references. One of the cool things about uh, the Internet is that you could turn it off. Right. I think there's like a this common misconception that the Internet follows you all around. Um, and when I want to turn it off, I turn it off like I've I've ignored. I think Steve and I've kind of made a concerted effort to not really take in too much beyond the initial two trailers that we watched together and anything else. I really made a concerted effort to not take in. Um, One one thing that this movie has that no other movie has is um, history. The, the time like literal time, even if these, even if these movies were just kind of targeted to be connected in the last six years for the past 10, 11 years, we have all seen these characters through their ups and downs, reactions after the first Avengers, we've seen these characters grow. We've grown up with them. Some people went from 10-year-olds to 21-year-olds watching this movie series. Some of us have gone from 20 to 30 
you know, from from no kids to kids, from, you know, single to marriage. And this has something that no other movie series has ever had, and that's the time invested. And that's something that's super weird. So it adds this layer of emotion to it. I was watching a guy on uh, The Breakfast Club talk about seeing these these movies, starting to see these movies with his kid when he was 10, and then finishing the movie out at, at 21. And he was talking about it and literally started crying on camera. He, like, teared up because he could not believe that this was a thing that he got to experience with his son. Um mm. And it, and it's weird to think like to think back where you were 10 11 years ago how different our lives were so it adds this narrative that nobody's really talked about honestly on this movie so that and if the movie delivers if the movie's half as good as it's supposed to be it'll it'll make people feel it but this movie had to be good there are people I know that have seen this movie four four times already that's something that I haven't heard of even during the Avatar Avatar time. So I have a I have a theory, Steve. Three point five billion. Wow. Three point five. So you're going you're going to three multiplier. Three point so. five wow. billion. I've never I've never heard people talk about a movie like they're talking about this movie. Yeah, I mean. I wouldn't say it's impossible. I mean, I I would say anything with this movie at this point would not surprise me just in terms of performance, like, you know, throwing numbers out there. Um, my only – I mean, I would love to see that because there's nothing more than, than – there's there's nothing I want more to see a movie that I genuinely love mm. just just replace Avatar as the most <laughs> successful film yeah. globally. Like, I, that's something that will – I will always be rooting for anything that gets close to that that I even genuinely at least like or really like. But I genuinely love this film and I just like I don't I don't know in today's landscape with how many movies come out in this season of the year, you know, with movie re- release schedules if it can hold on and have that high of a multiplier. But man, if it does, let me just say this, Ronald. I'm mm. buying you two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, man. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the actual content of the thing and some of the performances that we that we uh, were moved by. R- real, real quick, just just stress one more time. We're, we are getting into spoiler territory, so if if you haven't seen it yet at this point and just want our recommendation, obviously we're all saying go see Avengers: Endgame. Obviously, most people have already seen it, but just as a heads up, we are going to start spoiling a few things. So just. Yeah, I guess it's hard to talk about this movie at all without without <laughs> yeah, saying what yeah. happens in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, this is John, just letting you know that if you want to hear our Avengers spoiler discussion, keep on listening. However, if you don't want to hear Avengers Endgame spoiled for you, you can jump to about 50 minutes into the podcast to hear us talking about the latest episode of Game of Thrones, the big battle at Winterfell called The Long Night. But here come the Endgame spoilers. What do you guys think about some of the outcome of this movie? That the collateral damage, Ronald, was mentioned by you as being kind of low for this type of movie. Um, I, I wonder sometimes whether we are whether we're too bloodthirsty <laughs> with how right. we approach these things. It's all about who's going to die, who's going to die. But there was the promise of kind of clearing the decks and doing some bold things that feel more final in this film. And the fact that you liked it so much, Ronald, makes me think it must have overcome your your um, suspicion that they weren't really going to change anything. Oh yeah. So I guess one of the things that maybe we should discuss is uh, 
the trajectory of what what we thought was going to happen versus what actually happened. Like you know, it ends. Uh, you know, Infinity War ends. Thanos snaps his finger. Half the population disappears, and we're plopped into this new world. How do you guys feel about how that was handled in the in the new movie? I mean, honestly, like you said, Ronald, I tried to not read as much as possible about what this movie actually was going to be about in terms of the actual story. So to be honest with you, like I genuinely felt like it kind of subverted my some of my expectations. I I I did not expect them to find and you know kill Thanos in the first fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah. I I I did not expect the time jump of five years. And, you know, and I think that they even didn't expect people to think it was going to jump five years because even when it hits that five years later screen, it kind of like you you can at least I could feel the audience waiting to see what the five something something was like. Was it five? Was it going to be a flashback? You know, kind of something you didn't know where the story was going to go, or at least I didn't. And I kind of like. I kind of love that that I didn't really have many expectations, but even some that I had weren't really like, or, or they were like really well handled in the terms of like it kind of took me in directions that I really didn't know where it was going. I mean, I didn't really, you know, even though unfortunately I saw like stuff like a year or so ago where they, you know, they had like Ant Man in the shots from like you know the Avengers film and things like that, which kind of suggested some sort of time travel thing. But I didn't really, you know, know a lot of the details about it, and I, I just kind of felt like the way that the story just jumped into, you know, fail went from failure to false success to really having to deal with the consequences of the fact that you didn't win, and I liked that a lot, and um, you know, and then from there it just jumps off with what their their you know their 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 last shot is, I guess, but. To be honest, like I just really thought that the way the story went in the first thirty minutes kind of surprised me, and you know both times I've seen it so far, the audiences definitely react to, um, you know, things happening really quickly in the beginning of the film, almost to a point like I think they're just telling you right at the bat, like you maybe you don't know where the story is going. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree, Steve, in the sense that. I had only watched the trailers, just like you guys said. Yeah. I had maybe watched a couple clips they put out, but they were they were still very early in the film clips, and they were they all seemed to be them kind of standing in the Avengers HQ saying we got to do something. It, it wasn't it wasn't very revealing in the sense of what the plot of the movie might be. Right. It was an epilogue to Infinity War. It was a it was a meditation on loss and failure, and then it was a nonstop like comic book panel that just kept getting bigger and including more characters and, and more sort of like uh, more of that fan service crowd pleasing stuff that they just they earned they totally earned it when those heroes started spilling out of those dimensional portals when back when black uh, panther uh, came out um, there were people behind me, a group of people who, three or four people, it sounded like, whispering, yes, 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 Because we all felt it. It's like, oh, they're all coming back. And yeah. then here comes little Doctor Strange floating out and Spidey swings out. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's like CGI fest, you know. And some of the effects look great and some of them don't always look as great. But like, it was just so moving and I was so, I was just so right there in that moment. So yeah, they, they totally earned it. Um, and they spent the whole movie earning that moment of joy where for just a second, Captain America is all alone. And he's still going to fight. You know, he God gets damn. up and he, yeah. he tightens the shield and he's like, all right, I'm still going to give it a go, even though I'm completely alone. Yeah. And then uh, to your left, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, you wanted that moment. I, I, I'm glad that I had to wait for that moment. And I'm glad they gave me that moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think one of the coolest parts about the movie series as Thanos started to come in and and his eventual end is the idea that Thanos is really only a small part of all of this stuff. And I guess the idea is like, despite the fact that these people are superheroes and, and I think we like to think of ourselves as heroes, superheroes in a way, like, we, you know, I think they were all capable of pretty amazing things. There is this thing that kind of lingers in the back of our head that we could lose anything at any time. And the fact that this actually had the collateral damage was just the idea that it could happen. The idea that the finger was snapped at all. And I didn't get, you know, you, you kind of don't get that right away in Infinity War. But it makes it pretty obvious in the second movie that the collateral damage was done. The The damage is the idea that, like, you could die. You could this could be a real thing. And the people that wind up dying, the people that wind up sacrificing themselves it has a, a heavier impact when the humanization of what the idea that you can die f- starts to sit on your chest as an adult, as a person with family, as a person. It's cool, man. It 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 it, it, it had like a Shakespearean turn that I just was not fucking expecting. I was yeah. pretty. I was pretty cool with that. Yeah, it had themes. It had themes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know how I feel about themes. I mean, the whole thing about fatherhood oh, really yeah. hit me. Robert Downey Jr. in that scene with John Slattery—it's two great, super charming actors bouncing off of each other. Uh, but it, it just put—I don't know—it was so heartwarming and tragic, and it—you know—it added to the feeling I was getting of like, oh, this might be Tony Stark's last hurrah. But I still didn't feel like it wasn't inevitable that he had to die because he had the whole fatherhood issues of his own to deal with. So it could have been that the resolution of the film was him finally settling down and being a dad. But it also is setting up this idea of him not being there um, for his kid, which is what his dad worried about. You know, it's just every dad worries about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, that's it, it. It just tackles that in a way that just was super impressive that the Russo brothers, it, it's the sort of the feelings that I had in Winter Soldier and Civil War that I didn't quite feel as much in some of the other movies that they kind of brought back. I, th- I think they did a fucking incredible job of that. So. Yeah, I think like one of the big things that they really have, have focused on, even from when they came into the MCU, and I mean, this is a bit of a cliche, but I mean, they really do focus a lot on narrative. And I think that, you know, the way that they were able to kind of tie some of this stuff together in this story by taking, you know, the way they approach the time heist and, and the characters they, that they separate with one another for their, you know, respective missions um, to retrieve the stones from the past. And, you know, I, I just think the way that that all was handled is really uh, a sensitive task. And I think that they just did a really great, great job trying to balance it all. Um, and I think overall, one of the things I wanted to kind of throw out there and get your take on this was that, like, you know, we everybody, you know, we've all made comments about, like, you know, the end of Infinity War – excuse me, most of the characters that kind of, you know, dusted were characters that would be involved in and big parts of what is going forward with the MCU, whether it's in a theatrical window or if it's on the Disney Plus service or whatever it might be. But I think that that was such a really smart decision to to take the those characters and remove them from the timeline for a bit to really allow the stories of the core Avengers to come to an end or to have some sort of resolution um, so that when they do come back in that big moment that John mentioned, 
you do he- you do have that sense of like they're back in the fold and then they will take this from here kind of feeling or at least that's kind of what I felt and you know to really be able to focus on Tony on Steve Rogers on Thor you know on Black Window Black Widow and like you know have Clinton you know these these core people that you get from that amazing shot from Avengers 1 they all have a really big purpose in this film and like you know you really get to focus in on these six together as they are one last time and see what kind of work gets done when they are working together um and it's just it's just i thought it was just such a cool way to kind of round this out in this film at the end of these 22 films so that the MCU can go forward with with these new characters that will take it into the next generation the next decade whatever you know and it it's just like a really it's just a really impressive thing to think of it that 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 they decided to do it that way to say, yeah, this this title of this film is, is Avengers Endgame. So it's like you know you do get to see, <clears throat> you do get to see, you know that core six, you know doing one last massive thing together and seeing how and if they are going to come out of it alive, and what that means for for them and those around them, and you know including the rest of these superheroes. So. I don't know. I just thought that was a really kind of interesting way to take the story and to let this that let this movie really finish it out. Um, and the the moment that John mentioned also, like you know, the, the 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 wide panel shot of Captain America on the left side of this grand landscape, all by himself, and like watching Thanos's like army just descend from the skies and cover the the land and like Thanos just standing there on his little rock and there's just like one guy on the left side it's just like what an amazing shot I mean just bonkers like mind-bending shot in a theater on the screen that's fucking magic like it is magical to see an audience react to that but I do have to say the moment in the film for me, and I feel like probably the most giddy I've ever been in a movie theater, and the most I've probably embarrassed my wife in public ever, is probably when Captain America wields uh, the hammer, Mjolnir. I I completely lost my mind when that hammer like levitated, knocked Thanos out. And just like goes right back to Cap, and he's got the shield on one hand and the hammer in the other. I was like elated, and even Thor's reaction, like what? What does he say? Like I knew it, or something like that. He said I knew it. Yeah, which is such a great reaction. Yeah. That he's not so like bitter good. about it. That shot of of Cap like twirling the hammer with the shield, yeah. like jumping. Yeah. That is like right out of a comic book. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying out of a theoretical comic book. I'm saying that's a famous panel in the end of the infinity gauntlet story which is one of the few thanos stories i read it's kind of the big oh yeah so it's like that moment is right out of the comics but the context is different in the feel and i think a lot of people myself included thought for a second maybe it's captain marvel or something you just wondered who it would be and the fact that it was it was steve it was just perfect i mean so so it's funny that i was expecting that moment and wanted it because i'd read the comics and i thought that might make it in there by the time that happened i was so sucked up into just the movie and what was going on that i wasn't thinking oh i bet i bet that's captain america so it's like I, I even was transported away from a certain amount of foreknowledge of where this story might go. That was still like a great moment. Right. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that is connected to uh, if you're going to send this character off, let's let's do this moment. Let's let's pay this this idea off of is he worthy? It's like, hell, yes, this guy's worthy. We all know he is. Right. It's America's ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
So, yeah, the, the, the way the whole team was broken down, though, it's interesting. Steve got sent off that way. Uh, Tony dies. Black uh, Widow sacrifices herself. Uh, Thor is now very self-actualized. Yeah. And he's hanging out with the Guardians. Uh, Bruce Banner is kind of like Uncle Science. He seems like he could hang around with any team that forms and just sure. be the guy in the lab. Yeah. Um, but there's also more interesting stuff to do with the separation between him and Hulk, especially now that they coexist. There's room for the Hulk to kind of try to eradicate Banner. Totally. But it's interesting that they left all the characters, including Hawkeye, who seems like a natural now to just go be with his family, even though he has a, a series on Disney Plus coming. Uh, but let's try not to think about that. <laughs> this movie ends with the feeling of, oh, cool, we kind of see who might be stepping in. And we kind of see that these heroes might not be around, uh, if ever, at least not for a while. Some of these guys who've been with us for a, for a long time, the original team. So it it made me think if they do an Avengers 5, it will be a big deal to see kind of who makes the cut and who forms up and why. Um, and I expect it to be a great mix of characters we know and some we don't know yet. Yeah. So I, I'd be fine with them building up to these giant event films every now and then if they're actually going to use it as a way to do some permanent things. Which I guess brings us to the, the idea of the permanence. And Ronald, I know you were skeptical that they would do anything permanent. And then you said that they didn't quite have the collateral damage they could have about this. But they did uh, seemingly officially kill Black Widow and Tony. Yeah, yeah. Um, which means uh, that this movie alone would 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 uh, win me the ice cream bet, which, as I recall, was just that they would do more than one. You said you thought they'd kill one and they'd stop there, and I said, I think they'll kill more than one. And you let me take the field. I was really surprised that you let me take the whole field <laughs> outside of one. But the first movie alone got us through that, because I feel like Loki's death felt like a death that stuck. Gamora's did. Both of those now have asterisks on them because of this movie, because there's a because there's a version of Loki escaping in the time stream with the Tesseract. I don't know. And uh, Gamora, Gamora from before she met the other Guardians is now out there somewhere. Uh, she presumably was not snapped away because I don't think she would have would have been with Thanos at the moment that Tony snapped and probably thought something like, "Let's get rid of Thanos and all his yeah. all his minions," you know. Um, so that those two have asterisks, but I think that the rest of the count includes Vision still, right? And Heimdall, if we consider him a major character. So I'm, I'm well into free ice cream territory. Steve, you're well into free ice cream territory. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, 1.2 billion in one weekend. I don't care about that. What I care about is, <laughs> is the uh, ice cream. free ice cream. We won, Ronald, sense. you know. Yeah, you you beat the hell out of me. But but it, it was it was not the high death count that it could have been. It really was not. What did you guys think about the way those deaths were handled and who they chose? And were you surprised when it was Black Widow that bit the dust? I was sort of prepared for Tony, but I wasn't really thinking about what would happen with her, honestly. With Black Widow, um I I I really like her character not being a superhero sometimes. Like I just like when they're in the the room talking. I don't know how I feel about her as a, a superhero per se. Uh, the, the her loss felt. I didn't quite feel it as much as I should have. I mean, Hawkeye really did emote in a way that I really thought was incredible, but I didn't feel the Black Widow loss quite as much as I did the Tony one. And I think that kind of has to do with the kid situation. Um, you don't consider the, the, the Captain America one kind of a death, sort of a death? I mean, he's gone. The guy we know can't come back. But, yeah. you know, if if they wanted to do what they've done in the comics, which is have the, the old aged uh, Steve Rogers as sort of a guy behind the computer giving advice to 
Sam Wilson. I could see them getting some fun out of that dynamic. But I think Chris Evans is done. And I think this was a way to send him off that leaves him alive that didn't have him dying. It was just more creative. Yeah. If he meets an uneven sidewalk, he's done, man. That's that's how old <laughs> that's how older people are. It's like, ah. <laughs> I haven't put a lot of thought into what that ending says about whatever may have happened in the time stream. I think the don't, way this movie plays with time that. travel was, was so fast and loose. No, I, I, I accepted it. I feel like this movie, early on, somebody says something to the effect of, oh, well, that what happened happened. And if you go to the past, but it's your future, that's still your future. And that timeline stays. Yikes. <laughs> But then the Ancient One explained that every time they do this, something different, they create like a splinter universe. So I think this idea of a self-contained splinter universe where something different happened prevents them from having to deal with time paradoxes in the quote-unquote main timeline. There's a splinter universe that he just came back from where where things went differently. Because it would be weird if suddenly everyone's memory of what happened changed and no one knew who Captain America was or something. That would be too weird. I'm really not worried about it. I feel like this movie announced that it was going to have fun with time travel and not get bogged down in like primer-style yeah. <laughs> clever shenanigans. But I do think it gave a beautiful send-off to that character. Did you have any thoughts uh, about the movie that were sort of... Um, you know, less enthusiastic. I mean, I hated, I hated the time stuff, uh, but, you know, I the, the movie was so good, I just kind of accepted it. I did not like the time stuff at all. It's just like, oh, man, they're not even going to try to. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the movie was good enough that it honestly didn't matter. <laughs> they could have... They could have used an eight-bit scene for every time that they travel back in time, and I would have been okay with it. The truth is, they can in future films deal with some of the questions that you would have. You know, so maybe in a couple of movies you'll feel like, oh, they dealt with the the time problems. Because I, I kind of think that we we might see some consequences for them just mucking around in the time stream. Like there might be some plot about that, but I don't expect them to to immediately call back to this this type of storyline because I think if time travel is used too often in these films or if uh, that kind of power that was represented in these movies is used too often, it takes some of the fun out of the... You know, if you can always just go back in time, then that becomes an easy solution to almost any problem. Right. And I, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to keep going um, back to that well. They're going to suggest there's some reason why you shouldn't do that lightly. So... Um, no, I'm interested to see. And I, yeah, I think you're right, Ronald. It, 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 it will hurt your head if, you, if yeah, you're trying to get hung up on the logic. Of Don't it. even try. I think for me, if there's anything that I thought wasn't handled as well as I expected, um, in, in Infinity War, I really thought that the Guardians of the Galaxy as characters felt like themselves and really kind of popped. And in, in this movie, even though it really wasn't about them, even in their brief moments, I kind of felt like they were a little underserved. And as cool as it was to see Rocket Raccoon just kind of hanging around with the Avengers and going on missions with them, he didn't really get to do any of those... Like Rocket, I found to be a very emotionally moving character in the Guardians films. And um, even in uh, Infinity War, he had the stuff with Thor where they were becoming friends. And yeah. in this, he just felt like he was a background player. And I think that Peter Quill, it's kind of weird that in his own movies, he is this kind of soulful guy who's trying to do what's right. And we see how he bungles through, but we see that he's essentially trying to be a hero and he's trying to live up to some of this potential. But in this movie, he was just kind of reduced to a butt of a joke, you know, and then the same joke over and over again. And I kind of felt like, oh, if I was James Gunn and I was watching this, I would think, okay, in Guardians 3, I have to remind people that we have pathos for, for Peter Quill. He's not, he's not just a dipshit, you know? Yeah. But I feel like in, in a movie where they're trying to serve 50 characters, I, I'm, I'm fine with them saying, okay, these 20 are just going to be, um, you know, uh, background characters. Oh, yeah. 
it made sense to me that they would focus on the original team and let some of these, you know, people that came later that, that have future movies lined up, let them be developed in other places. But I thought maybe uh, James Gunn was on set throughout the production of Infinity War and he was not around uh, Disney <laughs> offices much during the production of Endgame was my guess. And that might be why those characters just sort of felt like background players. Even when they popped out of their portal, it was just kind of like a a composited image, it felt like, of them going like, Rawr! you know, it didn't really feel like them. But I love the idea of Thor hanging out with them. I think that that, that could be yeah. a fun dynamic. And that, that tells you what Guardians 3 might be. And if that's what it is, then, then I'm definitely interested. Same. Yeah, I would probably um, echo something Ronald said earlier. Like, I, I kind of felt, while I liked the scene overall, I didn't really feel the impact of um, Black Widow's sacrifice as much as I would have hoped to. Um or just like that whole sequence kind of bringing her to that point. Um, I did like kind of the back and forth of them preventing the other from trying to sacrifice themselves. That kind of plays nicely with like some past scenes between the two of them and past movies. But um, right. that one felt a little underwhelming to me. And then I'll be honest, like I don't, again, I've said it so many times when we talk about these movies, I don't know the history of these characters in the comics, but I kind of felt like the the passing the shield to Sam scene didn't didn't like hit me in I guess in the way that maybe it should have right, or right. could have um you know why Steve why they haven't done in, anything in recent movies to set right, up like right. in, in, after after winter soldier their relationship was really very brotherly and very like okay these guys are tight and they haven't done anything in the last two or three films to really feel like that connection is that meaningful right. uh, so i felt like if they were going to have him hand it to anyone it would have felt more meaningful if he handed it to bucky right but bucky gets like a bro hug and then and then sam gets the shield now i think that's partially because a very famous iteration of the comics has him holding the shield and i think a lot of people are excited at that notion but i agree it didn't it, it like it was a neat idea but it didn't have a gut punch quality to it no. which i think it could have somehow that moment should have felt more momentous because that all that idea of legacy heroes and passing it down we've seen it in the ant-man films right but exactly. it's a cool thing and i think we can hope to see a, another iron iron woman or iron person or there's different characters who've worn the suit um and also roadie uh war machine uh in the comics has stepped up to be iron man at different times so right um, a lot of, there's a lot of characters around for whatever they want to do in terms of cameos and team ups and, and a future a giant movie like this if they want to do it. There's there's a lot of possibilities, and they haven't announced a whole lot uh, with these characters yet. So, I, I think maybe we're in an age where Marvel plays their uh, cards a little closer to their vest in terms of absolutely those announcements. And I like that idea of being somewhat surprised by what might be coming. I Me don't too. even know what's the Me movie too. that's coming early next year. Is that Black Widow, the prequel film? I presume. Now? Yeah, uh, that's shooting this year. Um, and the Eternals, I believe, is shooting this year, and then Guardians three shoots in twenty twenty or end of twenty twenty, and then what's the other one? Um, Shang. Uh, what it, it? I'm not familiar with the character. I know there's another property that's Shang Chi or Shang something Chi. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's another one that's being made. Um, and somewhere in there, Doctor Strange two and Black Panther two. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange two is in twenty twenty. Um, yeah, so that and and Guardians I think are twenty twenty and Shang Chi. But the real question, like you know, is really to kind of I think the reason that a lot of it's being held close to the chest this go round as opposed to announcing this massive slate of mm. movies. I mean, I I really think that they're like navigating how to handle the Fox yeah. acquisition. And, and what they can do and how prominent things like Fantastic Four will be in 
the next phase of Marvel movies because it's going to be there. Um, there's no doubt. Or things like the X-Men, like, you know, removing it enough from this last iteration of the X-Men with Dark Phoenix coming out next month. Like, it's, you know, I think it's just like a really big, it's 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 a pretty big planning happening, happening right now uh, in, in the MCU and with Marvel Studios that, you know, it's going to be different, man, and it's going to be cool, and I can't wait to see what they end up doing. Yeah, I, I, I do like not knowing exactly what it's going to be, but they do still have a lot of great people in their stables, even if we're to believe that most of the original team has finished their contracts. Now, I've heard Chris Hemsworth <laughs> say he would play Thor forever, and I'm happy about that, and I think they have Mark Ruffalo for one more Hulk movie, which is rumored to be a team-up movie, since they still can't do a straight-up right. Hulk film due to... The way they share the rights with Universal, it's strange they can't call it the Hulk or the Incredible Hulk. Um, so uh, those both sound promising, but they right. don't sound like anything they have to rush to do. So it's kind of fun that it, we might go a few years without seeing some of right. these right. Uh, actors in some of these roles. And then when they, we, we see them again, it will have significance. Like this movie did a good job of having Paul Rudd kind of step up. And you know he kind of got the arc that Peter Quill didn't get to have of being the guy who everyone is like you know, insulting, but who we gradually see has this great utility. Um, and I didn't mention, but one of my favorite moments, just in terms of pure comic book bliss, was him popping up out of the rubble as Giant Man holding the Hulk and Rocket <laughs> Raccoon and War Machine in his hand. It's like that in and of itself. <laughs> it's just a beautiful image, and it's so much out of a comic book. And then him stomping on monsters, yeah. you know, as he goes through and p punching those weird uh, uh, alien spaceships out of the sky. It was like, that was so satisfying. Were either of you surprised um, by the lack of presence of Captain Marvel? Yeah, I was, I was pretty surprised surprised um and i understand that i mean we kind of talked about this that her scenes were filmed a little before the actual movie was filmed so she looks a little different right uh, she looks a little more fancy <laughs> which is uh interesting um and brie larson doesn't seem like she's quite figured out what she wants to do with the character yet either in a lot of no. that stuff and some of the stuff like her hanging out in the hq i liked those scenes of her talking to the team but the, the kind of big you know, money shots of her, you know, like out in space or whatever. Those moments felt a little yeah. like she didn't quite know what she was doing yet. <clears throat> but, you know, it's not like it was her fault. I think the movie does use her in a strange way. And I does, don't you think it's similar to the way they used Black Panther after Black Panther had this yes. huge yeah. impact? And then along came yes. Infinity War. Yeah. And he's kind of just in it. You guys have kind of skipped over uh, the greatest Avenger that hasn't been talked about. And that's that rat. That landed on all the controls in, in the van. <laughs> and, and made it all possible. That's pretty much saved the MCU. So we need to we need to celebrate this rat. Just put pictures of rats up and hail with halos or on their heads. And that, that rat saved the day and nobody seems to be talking about him. What was the name we gave the turtle in Creed that was watching them uh, having sex on the couch? <laughs> Coitus turtle? Oh my god. <laughs> Coitus yeah, Coitus Turtle. And Quantum Rat. <laughs> the real heroes of the movies. Yep. I smell our own little uh, oh, cinematic man. universe Let's boiling do up it. over here. Well, um, does well, anybody have any other thoughts about it. Endgame before Endgame. we move on to yeah. the, the other uh, game that we watched this week? I think that's it for me. Yeah, just I absolutely loved it. It delivered for me on every level. Um Every emotion, the theatrical the theatrical experience with a sold out crowd is like one of the best times I've ever had in a movie theater. And again, you know, some of the most, uh, I guess, some of the, I guess, my engagement in watching the movie was the most, some of the most vocal, you know, moments for me ever in a movie theater. And it was just, it was just amazing, man. And I, 
I don't know that I'll ever, I don't know. I hope I do, but I don't know that I'll ever experience something like that in a movie theater again. So it's, 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 uh, it's appreciated. And hopefully if you haven't seen it or want to see it again, you know, try to see it with a sold out crowd if you can on a, on a, on a big ass screen. Um, and that would, that would, that would be your best bet because uh, I don't know I don't know how many movies like that are going to exist anymore um, with the way things are going with theatrical windows and everything else that we always talk about on this podcast. But um, but yeah, man, I just want to like I don't know not that our podcast reaches these people that make these movies, but thank you to everybody you know who made these movies because it's been an amazing experience for me watching these over the last eleven years. Like Aaron and I, my wife started dating right around right around when the first Iron Man came out. And going to see these movies together, like Ronald said earlier, has been an experience that culminated in this experience, seeing Endgame. So it's been a really important like thing to me to see in a theater every time these come out. So, you know, it's just been awesome. So, you know, it's just like kudos to everybody involved and uh, for seeing it That's through. Really cool. And uh, yeah, man, go see it in theaters if you can. Yeah, I just want to second that idea of it being kind of a, a thing that has carried through. I mean, my son's life has occurred... Um, with these movies coming out. And one of the earliest ones that really clicked with him was Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's been a big fan of these movies since. And, you know, it's a big deal um, for me and my wife and my son to buy tickets weeks in advance and, you know, try to get good seats and sometimes pick them up early at school if we have to, to catch that, uh, you know, three o'clock matinee or whatever. Um, But, um, you know, between this and Star Wars returning, it has been a lot of fun to have that feeling of like, no, we all agree on this, that we're at least excited to see what happens next. And this movie was kind of, it kind of put a capper on what happens next in a way. Right. It did feel like, okay, yeah, wow, they did it. Right. You were talking about you embarrassing your wife, Steve, but I, uh, at some point I made a noise that I can't really describe and I can't remember what made me do it. And if I saw it a second time, I might remember. But it was a moment that no one else really reacted to. And I made a noise like, oh, or something like that. That was just like <laughs> just like an elated kind of noise, you know, that was like between a laugh and, and a sob or something. Um, so I'll report back if I see it a second time and I figure out what that moment was. But I was so delighted with it or I was so, uh, you know, moved by it that it made me, you know, go, oh. <laughs> Well, uh, Game of Thrones aired the third episode of its eighth season, its final season this last Sunday, and we sort of talked about it in advance because we knew that it was going to be a big battle episode, and those are usually pivotal moments for a Game of Thrones season in that they're big production numbers. You know, there's a lot of budget that gets poured into the dragons and the, in this case, the army of the dead. It was positioned to be the thing we kind of saw coming this season, one of the things we knew was going to happen was this standoff at Winterfell and they were gradually collecting characters we loved and putting them in harm's way. And, uh, we finally got to see how it played out. What were your impressions about the long night? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I'm the newer, uh, game of Thrones fan out of the three, I'd say the three of us. And, uh, you know, I, I watched a couple of the episodes, a couple of the seasons, um, over like uh five six and seven kind of over again and uh i was ready and this is something that's been culminating you know we've been waiting for a while for this to happen the night king uh what the fuck is he gonna do is he the is he the coward that i think he is uh what's what's gonna happen and this i don't know if i've ever i mean 
this is historical, right? It's the longest fight scene. It's the longest fight sequence ever filmed, or battle sequence, or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know how official that is, but I heard that somewhere in movies or television. They say I have never seen anything that focused on one area that kept me so immersed, quite like this. That I had some issues with the the, the lighting of it. Like you know, it felt kind of dark nightish the way that some of the fight scenes were filmed for obvious reasons because you feel what they're feeling when winter kind of starts to really sweep over this place but it was it was beautiful and the 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 fighting was incredible i I don't know if i've ever seen anything like it it's hard to describe I, i I can't really describe it. Maybe I'll hear you guys talk about it and then I'll I'll have some more words, but my mind was blown and I was satisfied. Yeah, what do you think of that, Steve? The whole notion of it being underlit or it looking dark or or I mean, obviously that was intentional as you said, Ronald, it was meant to evoke being in that situation. But so many people were complaining about it and I think no one's really wrong. I don't think the guy underlit it. I think the worst, I think the things, if you want to blame it, are it's television presets and then bandwidth uh, limitations in terms of people streaming. Absolutely. That's it. Presented optimally, this would have been a beautifully lit episode because I think the way they used those uh, those darks was really cool. But I have to admit, even on my screen, um, there were some scenes that were murky. Did you have that experience? I really wondered what you guys felt like when you were watching it, if it was a good or a bad viewing experience. I, I... I honestly didn't experience it to be poor at all. I mean, like, I don't have the nicest TV in the world, but I mean, I mean, it's a decent TV. And I mean, I do think that it comes more so to the streaming element of the show. Cause I'd be curious to how many people that are criticizing the stream of it versus people that are getting it through their cable, like, subscription. Like, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, when it comes over the cable in your box, if it's different than if you're streaming it through, like, an app on a on a, on a over-the-top box. And I've been trying to read about that over the past couple of days because that seems to be a factor in terms of, like, streaming it over the internet versus getting it over your fiber line, if, if that's what you have. And I didn't experience it. I mean, I watched it through HBO Go or whatever the streaming option is, because that's what I have. And I mean, yes, the episode was dark, but I, again, it was completely, I, I believe, and you know, for even from what they've come out and said, I mean, like the cinematographer has even addressed it like that it's, it's in, you know, that's the way it's shot. Like that's the way it's supposed to look. And I think it does kind of hurt itself in a way because, you know, yeah, some TVs don't look great and, you know, watching it on a tablet or on a computer, you know, over the internet, maybe the stream quality isn't that great or maybe it's downgrading it as it's streaming if your signals or if your strength is not that you know high or whatever the technicalities of it are but i don't know man like i've I've actually watched it like three times i've watched it on two of my tvs and on an ipad and i i don't i don't know that i have really that much of a criticism for it because i mean i guess a part of me is just expecting it to be that way in a bit or in a way because because of the because of the environment, to, to, you know, like the, because of what it is, it's literally uh, a long ass battle at night in the dark for the most part, you know, with basically being lit by fire, and that's it. You know what I mean? Like that's what you're talking about. So I don't know what I don't know like what my expectation would have had to been to to really be able to have the criticism that a lot of people are having. I mean, it's valid. I mean, I get what they're saying, and I mean, I I have seen 
some screenshots of like what people are like describing and it, I don't know just maybe I watch it in a optimal environment that thankfully I didn't really see that or experience it so what were some of the things that surprised you if anything I, th- I would say the big one for me was just how quickly the Night King storyline was wrapped up that any questions I may have had about their agenda and their society uh, seemingly are irrelevant to the the true finale of the show but I don't think that that's true it's not like they negated the importance of him because it was still a major thing for Arya to jump in and, and do that. Like, we thought the whole point was going to be that when everybody's squabbling over the throne, the Night King comes in and, and like, reminds people, okay, there's a bigger problem. Um, well, that sort of happened, but now the Night King's gone, and so we're back to squabbling over the throne. I think that surprised me. I didn't expect to have three full episodes to deal with the aftermath. Uh, how did you guys feel? Did, did that seem abrupt to you, the, the resolution of that? Did it seem right on time? I mean, they, they, they have been setting up this battle since the first episode, the very first scene, uh, which introduced the White Walkers as a major threat. Um, was Did you have any letdown that they were snuffed out like that? Um, not really. I think I, I had this idea that the Night King was kind of a coward anyway. Like, he didn't seem like he was like a frontline fighter. Every move that he, he's done is kind of like, you got my block. Let me let me pitch this thing at this dragon. Let me let me command these people from all the way up over here. I, I, it's interesting to see that once somebody got really close up on the Night King, that the the results were what they were. Um, yeah, there were there there was some terror terror inducing shots, specifically Arya kind of trying to make her way through the library that was great that led up to that moment that was so fucking scary to me that i i I hadn't felt in some horror films sometimes that was done so well man it it felt like it had seven eight genres in one episode how the hell did that happen how the hell did they manage this yeah i heard that they were going for like equal part suspense thriller horror film and action film and it kind of moved between those modes and i watched it with henry when i saw it didn't say graphic nudity in the uh, opening warning about what was in it <laughs> i said henry do you want to watch game of thrones with me <laughs> um because my wife is out of town and i have to watch it with somebody right right uh and he kind of thinks it's cool he likes the battle episodes and he at that moment said oh my god this is like a horror movie when when she was in the library and it was really well done and uh, I also love the stuff with her and the Hound and Barrack, the way that Barrack sacrificed himself and the Hound kind of found his courage through the idea of protecting Arya and making her, her passage clear. It, it, um, you know, it, it seems like one of those things that you could say came out of nowhere, but it also was set up very well over many seasons that Arya would be the, the right oh, person yeah. for the job. So that was not like unfair storytelling. I like, my only compunction was I would have loved to have maybe gotten another scene or two that kind of hinted at the White Walkers society because I just find them really eerie and, and kind of interesting. And they never really did amount to more than just ice zombies in the end, you know? So in, in a way it's, it's fitting that they're gone and we're going to have more interesting villains for the last few episodes. What about you, Steve? Did you want more from the White Walkers or did you feel like you got all you needed? I felt pretty satisfied to be honest with you. I mean, I feel like having this huge culmination in the middle of the season, you know, I think if you, understand the show you you got to know that there's going to be something bigger and more important to the story still coming in the next episode or two so i mean like i don't i don't know what scenarios i see this that that i would have seen this episode ending without you know some sort of defeat against the white walkers in some way uh, or the night king in some way 
whether it was Arya or whether it was the way it went down, I don't know that I really thought of any of that, but um, I'm just, it just like, I feel like it just does a really great job of just making more, me more curious about other things that were happening in the episode that weren't really strictly about the Night King, you know, like I'm really intrigued to see, you know, what happens after this battle, you know, at Winterfell with all of these groups together and you know, how that's dealt with. And I mean, I'm curious, I'm super curious about Bran because like he's, um, I don't know, there's like, there's something bigger going on with Bran, I think. And I wouldn't be shocked if there's some major thing that happens in these past, you know, these next couple episodes involving him. Um, and I don't know what that looks like, but it, it just seems like so much time has been spent with him and like the information that he possesses and maybe is or isn't telling everybody um, you know, so I don't know. It, it, it didn't feel like a letdown to me at all. I, I, I personally didn't see the Night King as like the ultimate, uh, you know, villain of the series or the ultimate, you know, uh, like, I don't know, battle of the series, whether this battle in scope is the ultimate battle is a different story. But I mean, like in terms of the importance of the end of this story, I don't, I don't know that I ever saw that. Cause I don't know how that would happen without, one of the most important characters being involved, you know, with Cersei still down in King's Landing. And I, it just makes me really even more intrigued to see what's coming. I mean, I saw an article talking, like, Amelia Clark talking about how, like, the next three episodes are bigger than that episode, you know? Or wow. episode five is really the episode that is going to, like, blow people's minds. Okay. You know, so, you know, and that's just this, that's this show. I mean, I don't think this, this show does such a good job of, like, you know, going against expectations and, you know, even though they do play into that fan service that we talked about earlier with Avengers, like they do play into it at times and play against it at others. I just think that they they know what they're doing. And, you know, at this point, eight seasons in and with only, you know, a few hours left of, you know, one of the one of the best shows ever, in my opinion, I am all in on just seeing where it goes. And I don't really let my expectations dictate whether or not I think the story is working the way that, you know, it should or could. Yeah. I mean, as much as I wanted to know a little bit more about their culture, so to speak, (laughs) uh, the White Walkers, I I, I actually, in the middle of this battle, as cool as it was, I was thinking, you know, this is kind of just fast moving zombies, which is cool as as, as good of a job as they do of it. It's not the most interesting adversary in terms of the emotional impact of it so i i I think that like even though i wanted a little bit more from them i wouldn't describe it as a letdown like because like i said we are going to get the scenery chewing characters now for the next three episodes figuring out uh, how this is going to break down and there's just a little bit of magic left in the world you mentioned bran we've got the um We've got the dragons still, but we lost Melisandre in this episode, and she's one of the kind of vestiges of the old world and the old magic. Um, and uh, it, it just made me think of when Littlefinger died last season. I remember thinking, oh, I guess this is the signal that the sort of days of scheming are over. That we are now in the thick mm. of it. We're now like in the days of fighting and the teaming up and who's really going to be brave and who's yeah. really going to be stalwart. And this now has tilted it back towards the the days of scheming. And it made me think, oh, what if Varys really comes in as a major player in the next few episodes? That was something I didn't really think about. But the fact that he survived uh, uh, the battle at right. Winterfell really got me going, oh, you know what? He now is in the position to be the guy whispering to these powerful people and trying to improvise and trying to kind of bring about some course of events because I've sort of found him 
I, I, this is actually going to be a, a strange word choice because I don't mean it as a, a, a double entendre, but I've found him to be kind of neutered in recent seasons, similar <laughs> to the way that Tyrion is, in the sense of if, if your gift is your mind, but you're not able to think your way out of this particular problem, you're kind of just a guy hanging around. So the idea that Varys might suddenly right. have more to do is something I hadn't considered, and now I'm thinking, oh, that would be a really cool surprise if we're back in the world of... You know, the person who can like yeah. spread the information or the person who can play both sides against each other. Um, so that might be a real uh, turn I didn't expect. Uh, but yeah, I was a little surprised at how many people made it out of this. I'm not disappointed. I think some people seem mad that that more beloved characters didn't die in this battle. But I thought that, you know, outside of maybe a couple more characters that I thought would have gone, I thought maybe we would have been hurting a little bit more or surprised a little bit more. But the ones we got seemed major enough. I thought Theon... And uh, Jorah both felt like the right kind of death for those guys. Like Theon, especially uh, going into this episode, I thought his arc is complete. He's back in the fold. He's, he's accepted by the Starks. He feels like he has a point in his existence. He's back on good terms with his sister. It just seemed like I don't want anything else for this character. I, 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 was, I thought it was powerful, but I kind of expected that. Um, so that felt major, even if it wasn't like as painful as losing, say, Brienne or Jaime or Tyrion or... Someone like that. Did you guys feel that the deaths hurt, or did you think they were just the sort of, to use a phrase we've used a lot, uh, collateral damage? Uh, you know that they have to have at this point in the in the in the show's story as it's winding down. Well, I mean this this felt like um, in the way that the the fingers got snapped in Infinity War, uh, the finger got snapped in Infinity War. Like the the collateral damage, I don't quite feel it quite yet, and I think the next episode will do that for us. Because I, mean, I, I mean, it really gave this feeling of war as hell in a way that I wouldn't have expected for, you know, a story with dragons and stuff like that. But it really started to feel like after a while. I mean, I know they were doing this on purpose. As the as the zombies started to just fall, as the whites started to just fall in places, I was like, man, this is there's more. There's more of these guys. They they they're coming out of the crevices. They're coming out of the. They're coming from the roof. They're coming from the. <laughs> They're going into the crypt. I'm like, God damn. And like, there's so many of them. And I think that it really did. We, we, we're exhausted right now from the war that's taking place. And I think that the next episode is when we really get to mourn all the losses. Because I didn't feel it. I honestly didn't feel it in this one. What about you, Steve? Did it make you hurt? Or did you expect to hurt more than you did? <clears throat> um. I don't know, really. I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I do agree. I, I feel like the Jorah and the Theon moments did hit for me, especially the Theon moment. Because I mean, with Bran saying what he said to him before he like charged at the Night King, <coughs> I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty special, and like maybe just perfectly what he wanted or needed to hear to do that. I mean, because like the last. The last few like moments that you see Theon really challenge in a moment of like bravery or honor or like, you know, confronting a challenge, he kind of has retreated and ran, you know, or jumped in an ocean or whatever. So to see him know, you know, like I'm gonna, I know I'm not gonna survive this, but this is the most honorable thing I can do is to buy another moment for this child who has just acknowledged that I'm a good man and you know. Thanking, I don't know. I, I did. I did really appreciate the Theon moment. I thought that was really great. And you know, for Bran, uh, I don't know. Just like when you think about the timeline, and, and I'm just so curious with his character to see like what he knows and doesn't know. Um, because you know, knowing what to say to kind of buy enough time for Arya to be able to do her thing, like it, it really kind of all plays together. 
but as a character, that 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 specifically felt like a great closure to it his was arc, a cool moment. Uh, uh, his redemptive arc, and just to kind of see him really running head into something that I'm, you know, obviously is frightening and scary, and you know, requires tons of bravery. You know, he's kind of pulled himself back to the point that he can really defend a place that he calls home. And I, I just thought that moment was really great. And the moment that Brand said what he said to him was really a great scene. And yeah, I mean, that that one did it was a great me a scene. bit. Don't you think Brand should have said, you're a good man, Theon. By the way, if you stand by me for 30 seconds instead of charging, you'll live. <laughs> <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> oh, that wacky Brand. <laughs> But no, I agree. It's what the character needed. And that's what I meant about his arc being complete. It's almost like him kind of sacrificing himself for the Stark family or for the future of the Starks. It was a futile gesture and an unnecessary one, as we found out. But it did seem like, okay, his time is done. This guy has served his purpose. And I felt similarly to Jorah, even though there were some clumsy things about the way that came about. Um, I thought him essentially taking multiple spears and and swords to the midsection uh, instead of Daenerys, you know, taking those wounds. Like that was that was what he needed to be. He needed to be a pincushion for her in the end uh, and save her from from certain death. It doesn't really make sense why she. Some of the tactical things that she and John do with the dragons in that, even with the storm clouding their vision, it felt like there were some plot contrivances to uh, to produce that. But I didn't mind it. I thought that it was fine to picture that these fallible characters that we know to be fallible have continued to be fallible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think even John being kind of ineffectual and Daenerys not really being the, you know, neither one of them was sort of the chosen one, so to speak, in this battle. Yeah. It, it, I think that's fine. I think that there's, A, there's three more episodes to go. And also, it's fine to say, yeah, the people who are set up to be the biggest heroes, they're sort of symbolic. But what have they done for us lately? You know, Arya really was the one who got to shine. Now, that makes me think, oh, she got to kill Littlefinger. She got to kill the Night King. I don't know that she now gets to roll down to King's Landing and kill all the people down <clears throat> down there that I was sort of thinking she might kill. So I might be more, I might be suddenly worried about Arya when I right. wasn't really before. Um, I'll keep Tyrion on the worried list and I'll add Arya to it. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of think whatever we want to say about Jamie and Brienne, he seems more doomed in a way for surviving this because I think him down at King's Landing, or at least tangling with his sister and Euron, I think that has a potential for some. You know, there's doom. There's doom all over the place for my my one of my favorite characters, Jamie Lannister. So, um, so I don't mind. I, I think it would be weird yeah. to think that they were supposed to get rid of everybody. I think any opinions about how this episode wrapped up certain things the show is trying to do is premature because they have half a season left, and we know a lot can yeah, happen exactly in that amount of time. So, yeah, buckle up, buddy. It's gonna get it's gonna get bumpy. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna be fun. So did John's dragon survive? We just yes. didn't see it. They did. They did. Okay, I figured yes. he did. Yes, he was just wounded. Okay, and, that's and, good to hear. And, and 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 more importantly, so did Ghost. I know he he was in the next week on right. He was in one of the shots. Yeah, oh, I was yeah. worried. Then I yeah, yeah, somebody pointed out that he's in the trailer for next episode. So I was like, okay, that's good. So is it problematic that they had their brown people go out first and die, and then they had the next wave of people, which is also their brown people? <laughs> like, is that um. 
is is, is that a problem or is that because I mean, the, the visual of what the Dothraki did was really cool, but it was kind of strange to play it as like, okay, they're gone and now they're gone, and it made me think, oh yeah, that's weird for a show that has this problem, this <laughs> this race problem. Um, uh, for them to do that, especially because we didn't have like a standout Dothraki character that could stick around necessarily. There's a, there's that one guy they keep showing, but I don't think he's a real character. At least Grey Worm is a character. Right. Once again, they didn't quite nail the racial politics, uh, uh, but I think that um, at this point it's a little too late for the show to turn around and, and try to be more diverse in its casting. It kind of is what it is. It's it's committing to what it is, it, you know. It's 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 fun, I guess. But it, yeah, it weirded me out a little bit. Like there was no, I mean, they just felt like, I don't know, just extras that were going to get destroyed. They didn't have any sort of depth or anything like that. But it's neither here nor there, I guess. In terms of the Shakespearean stuff, it it adds to the effect that Daenerys is losing a lot in in this place. Yeah, she yeah. came to this place with everything, and now she's sort of down amongst the mortals in terms of what she's capable of doing. Um, and John is arguably, I guess, definitely has a has a better claim to the throne than she does. I don't know how that would go in terms of the bloodline, but I guess it would go to the son, not the... Sister. Not right. the sister? That's wacky. It's wacky, wacky. Misogyny. <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of people criticizing this recently for saying this is a show that, that reimagines the Middle Ages, you know, um, and can add dragons and zombies but they can't add people of color <laughs> and they can't add <laughs> equality for women like we have to stick to certain things that were accurate to the actual middle ages but we're going to throw in fun fantasy stuff it is a little bit inconsistent um but i have a feeling in the prequels they you know there's rumors of them trying to remedy some of those problems with the the casting in the prequels have you guys heard much about that and and do, you, do how do you guys feel about a prequel at this point do you sort of want this story just to end or do you think you'd be interested to see it pick right up in a different era? Because I do want there to have some finality to this. I don't want people to say, wait for the prequel to find out about this or that. I want this to feel like a, an ending to something. And I have a feeling it will. But, I, you know, I think we've talked about this a lot, just the idea of things you have to kind of accept that if there's a, if there's a nickel to be made. Um, yeah. <laughs> an entity like HBO is not going to let this property go. No, not at all. I mean, I'm okay with a prequel as long as it's 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 one of those things like Better Call Saul where... The payoff to connect the two takes four or five seasons. You know what I mean? I, I like the idea that if if something's distant uh, and then eventually it starts to come closer, I'm good with that. But nothing that's immediately like five hours, five hours ago in another place during this whole event and they just show it from another angle. I don't want that yet. I think the one they're shooting a pilot of is rumored to be thousands of years before, so it really shouldn't overlap. Well, that's that's good to hear. I don't even think Melisandre is that old. So, <laughs> I thought that ending was actually kind of beautiful and haunting. The way she drops her necklace and wanders off into the snow, and we see her kind of dissipate into an old person and then into kind of a corpse. You know, yeah. that was really yeah. like her job was Absolutely. done. And 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 did that make you think maybe the 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 her god is uh, is the one that works after all? She she actually kind of you know she's been wrong a bunch but in the end she kind of put her money where her mouth was and and uh yeah i don't know that was kind of cool she lost faith for a second yeah. she lost faith for a second as she was you know as the 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 whites were getting closer and you know it it came through and it's it's pretty interesting cuz you know it seemed like at some point that she was just kind of babbling but to see what's happening now it's it's a testament to the idea that everybody kind of has a role in uh, what's about to happen in the next couple episodes? I love that, man. So 
All right. Any parting thoughts before we, uh, I don't know, come back next time and talk about an indie film or something healthy like that? <laughs> Some roughage in our diet? Uh, not for me. I, th- I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied with the two offerings that we reviewed. Yeah, man. Hey, r- real quick, did did want to mention that the other the other big, well, the other big movie, the other film coming out this week um, that I actually did see was uh, the new Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron uh, rom com called Long Shot. Um, in theaters this weekend, if uh, you're looking for something besides Endgame, I really enjoyed Longshot a lot. Um, it is like a tried and true, like 90s rom-com, Julia Roberts, Richard Gere type of thing, like where they're playing up that kind of trope, but flipping the, flipping the, the, flipping the roles of the gender, and uh, they have great chemistry together, it's super funny, great supporting cast. Um, I love Seth Rogen. I I'm so consistently a fan of his films, and and the comedy that he kind of puts out, you know. And it's one of the funnier movies I've seen recently. And uh, you know, it's kind of overshadowed right now. I kind of feel bad. I don't know how well it's going to do, but it's. Uh, I think it comes out in theaters today when this uh, podcast is dropping. Hopefully, um, if we get this out on Friday. But uh, Long Shot is a is a great rom com. Some great '90s. Throwback tunes and uh, just you know, just a really funny movie. If you're looking for some romantic comedy, in between Avengers Endgame and uh, the last three episodes of Game of Thrones, <laughs> it might be a nice uh, palate cleanser for you. Uh, anyone out there looking for that? But uh, it's in theaters this weekend. Yeah. Otherwise, man, I'm good. Uh, you can find us Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Play, whatever podcast platform there is, we should be there. As we always say, if we aren't there, if you could let us know, that'd be great, and we would love to find a way to get to that platform uh, for you. Um, Facebook.com slash MovieSchmovieMovieSchmovie.com for past episodes, and uh, I think that's all we've got. Um, We'll see you guys in a couple weeks, and uh, as always, you've made our day. Bye. Give me my ice cream. <laughs> I can't wait. Come on, let's go. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Rock, rock. Oogie, oogie, wah, 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 wah. Tuesday, Monday, we all scream.